I'm just going to preach this morning. Uh, nobody knows what that means. That's why one person just clapped. Two people. I feel the presence of God in such a strong way this morning. There is no doubt in my mind that he's going to change somebody's life today. That said, there's going to be a lot of... Well, let me just read something. And then you'll understand. This is the end of the set of scriptures that I'm about to read. Be miserable and mourn and weep. And let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy into gloom. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord and he will exalt you. Be miserable and mourn and weep. And let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord and he will exalt you. I promise you two things this morning. There has never been a more greater potential for the Holy Spirit to radically change your life. But if he does, I can make you another promise that there will be some misery and some mourning and some weeping. And at least the source of your laughter will then lead you to mourning. And the source of your present deceptive joy will lead to gloom. Because a part of you, in order for you to humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord, a part of you has to die a miserable death. And that will be one of the saddest moments of your life. But it will lead to the greatest moment of your life. So you mourn. Mourn only when something is lost. You mourn only when there is a death. The word mourn has been totally, absolutely taken and united with the idea of death. That's what you do at funerals. You mourn. When you lose something of great value, you mourn. And my prayer this morning is that you lose something deep inside of you this morning. And if that does take place in your life, there will be mourning and there will be a small ounce of misery and there will be sorrow. As God says in the scriptures, godly sorrow will lead to repentance and repentance will lead to exactly where you need to go. That's the end of the scriptures. And the first part, I'm going to read really fast, and I don't want to spend too much time on it. It's James chapter 4. It says, What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source your pleasures or your desires or your lusts that wage war in your members? It's James chapter 4, verse 1. Verses 6 and 7 will be up there in a few minutes. Um, What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is it not the source? Is not the source your desires or the pleasures or whatever translation you have of your flesh that wage war in your members or in your body and who you are? 
You lust or you desire and do not have, so you commit murder. You are envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. And listen, you ask and you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures or on your desires of your flesh. You adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend, that word wishes is super important. Therefore, whoever wishes, hopes, desires, wants to be friends with the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that scripture speaks to no purpose, that he, talking about God jealously, desires the spirit which he has made to dwell in us? Verse 6 and 7, but he gives a greater grace or he gives more grace or he gives an abundant, overflowing amount of grace, depending on your translation. Therefore, it says God is opposed to the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable and mourn and weep, and let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. Unfortunately, the set of scriptures is being written to self-professing Christians like you and me. Well, most of us. I cannot spend too much time breaking this down, but you have to understand this one reality in verse 4 that the Spirit of God is trying to open up through the book of James to humanity. That, And he uses quarrels and conflict and division amongst people as evidence or proof of something that is working deep inside of you. You are sadly convinced that the sin that condemns us is only actionable sin. Uh, But the Bible was very clear that the actionable sin takes place because of the sin that is already inside of you. That the lie itself is an actionable sin, but the reason you lied to begin with was sin in itself. That there is a lot of actionable sin that comes out of something like envy, But envy itself being present in you, whether it ever leads to actionable sin or not, still is sin itself. And so he uses the quarrels and the conflicts and the division. And I don't know if you guys have ever paid attention to history or watched any form of news. But one thing humanity is great at is division. All we really want to do is war and fight and kill each other. Whether that's a physical death and a physical war or politics or you and your neighbor or you and your wife, or you and your kids, or you and your friends, or you and whoever's getting the chair that you think you deserve, or whatever realm of life that you're in, whoever's getting more attention than you, he points to something that is absolutely 100% betraying to the depths of evil and wickedness within us. He says that the quarrels and the conflicts and the wars and the division and the hatred and the racism and the blah, 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 the end, you just keep going. There's no end to the amount of division in humanity and throughout history. And he says, all of that points to the reality that there is something in you waging war within yourself. And then he says, even to the Christians, even to the people that have have given their lives to Christ, he said, there is still something in you that wages war 
within you. And he said, it's this reason why when you begin to ask, and he's talking about prayer up front, you have to understand that this is a conversation about prayer. The entire conversation here is about prayer. It's about, it's about the reality of prayer and read, leading to prayer, but it, it's the type of prayer and it's the why behind the prayer. Now, I know that most of us, and I'm not judging or condemning, but I know that most of us don't have any form of prayer life, and I, I get that. But even the ones that do here, he's talking about there, there is a reason why even within your prayer life that God does not hear you and does not answer you and does not give you the things that you ask for. And that in itself betrays something deep and wicked about you. And so he says here, he says, you, you, you lust or you desire and you do not have, you commit murder. You are envious and you cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. And when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on what? Your pleasures or your desires. It's the same word he does in verse 1 where he says the source of all conflict, division, and quarrels is those same desires. So you as a Christian, as a good Christian, come before God and pray and ask for things. And he says, I'm not going to give it to you because if I give it to you, you're going to use it for the own sinful desires in your flesh to begin with. And he says, this is the reality. This, this makes you a form of an adulterer, an adulteress, at least in your relationship with God. And so I'll use this, this idea to paint the, the picture that Paul, I mean, that James is trying to paint here for us. He says that it, it, this is the same thing as if just imagine a world uh, where you are married, but you are cheating on your spouse and having an affair with someone else, uh, and you want to take that someone else, uh, the mistress or the mistress, out for a night on the town, but you don't have any money, and so you go to the spouse that you're betraying and cheating on and ask them for $500 uh, to take your mistress or mistress out for uh, a night out on the town in a hotel and all forms of stuff. That that's what it is with many of your relationships with God. That you come, you lack, and so you come to the source to ask for some form of benefit so that you can take it and betray him greatly with it. It says that you want to take the things in earth, that you, you have a fixation, a, 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 a something within you. It says that those who wish, who wish to be friends with the world, that there's something in you. You want to succeed, be friends with, strive in, accomplish, build, and conquer the world that you live in, that you're fascinated by, that your eyes and your heart and your mind are fixated completely 100% down on the world and on the culture and on the things that the world offers and that you desire heavily above all things, uh, definitely above uh, your relationship with God uh, to be able to succeed in some avenue that the world has opened up for you. You see the world, you like the world, you want to you move forward in the world. You want to have a relationship with the world. You, wanna, you, wanna be, you want the world to look at you and say good. Uh, you want the world to lift you up. You want to conquer the world. You want trophies that the world offers. You want the, the, the images that the world offers. Whatever the world offers are the things that you crave and that you want the most. And that even as good, solid American Christians, uh, the majority of the prayers that you pray, you come to God and ask him to bless you and to give you things that you can then take and go and use uh, in your uh, adulterous relationship and friendship uh, with the world that hates God. And that in itself makes you an enemy of God. It says, not me, don't hate me. Though I could care less this morning. 
This is the reality and the thing that I want to paint. And, 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 and this, your, your, your instincts are going to want to scream religion. But if you know me whatsoever, you know that I hate religion, that I'm not about religion whatsoever, that it's about a relationship with God. But you're, something's inside of you is going to want to battle in what I'm saying and fight against what I'm saying. And what I'm telling you is, is that if you're hardened at your mind, if there's something within you that you want to have a relationship, a friendship, an intimate relationship with any aspect of the world, and that your life revolves around something here in this temporary sphere uh, and that you go and you pray and you ask for anything that you are asking something of the God who created you to take it and then to succeed in an adulterous relationship with a culture and a world and an age that hates him. And we always act like that's a new thing from day one. It's been that way. And I want to show you why there's something within you Something deep, something dark, something, something that you, 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 you don't want to expose, that you don't want to believe is there. And this is why I think people have struggled so much with the reality of me taking the devil off the table. There's several people, especially this week, sending emails and, and concerns, some of which I love and respect greatly. And, 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 and this is the, re, the reality is that I'm fully aware that the devil can tempt you. I never said that he couldn't tempt you. I said that he's not tempting you. I know a lot about Scripture. I don't know a lot about many things, but I do know a lot about Scripture. I'm very aware that the devil can tempt you. But I want you to understand the reality of what I'm saying here so that you can get this out of your mind. Uh, the devil is not God. He's not omnipotent. He's not all-powerful. He's not all-knowing. He is not in that way, nor are any demon or demonic force on the planet. He played no role in creating the world. There's over 8 billion people in the world, and he does not have the power to directly tempt more than one of them. Now, he can influence this world greatly. Raise your hand if you've got an iPhone, because I'm about to skip a message in this series, and I'm going to teach you how the enemy works. Who's got an iPhone? Raise your hand. Who's got another uh, lesser of value smartphone? Okay. All right. This is what the enemy does. He will take, and, and I, it's important that you listen to this because I'm not just making a point about the devil because I'm about to show you why you are more like the devil than you care to think. The devil can do a thing. The devil can take anything in the world and he can twist it, misuse it. Take something like technology, take something like the internet, take something like your iPhone, and then he can create something like pornography so that every single one of you are walking around with a walking, talking temptation every second of your life. That's what the enemy can do, and that's just one thing, and that has a strangled hold on this generation. That's just one small thing. That's what the enemy does. That's how the enemy operates. He is not. No matter how arrogant you are, you cannot even convince yourself that of all the 8 billion people that you are the one that he needs to come after today. Why would he have to? You're so good at sinning yourself. Why does he have to waste the time? This is the reality of why people are fixated on the devil and demons in hell and fixated on this other third-party thing is because if it's not something outside of themselves, that leaves only the thing that is within themselves. The devil is not the greatest enemy. Hell is not the greatest enemy, nor any kind of demonic or dark forces is the greatest enemy. You yourself are your greatest enemy. And the sin and the desires that are in your flesh, you are the greatest enemy. 
and what he's, he's talking about here, what he's trying to open up to you, is, is the nature of sinful humanity and the way that they operate, the way that we operate, the way that I operate, is that we will take the good things of God and we will misuse them greatly for evil. This is what Adam and Eve did. God gave them life, gave them breath, gave them paradise in every sense of the word, gave them the Garden of Eden, and they took all of that and in their sin misused it, destroying the goodness of it at least to their lives and were separated. This is a brick. That sounded like a brick. <laughs> this is a brick. This brick is not evil. And this brick is not wicked. This brick is a brick. It's neutral. You can do a lot with this brick. You can build a retaining wall with this brick. Not a good one. Because it has holes in it. You can build a house with this brick. Um, you can build, maybe in the Old Testament, you could build an altar with this brick and worship the Father. And in fact, that, that was how they used to build the altars. Now, not with bricks, just with stones, just with rocks. But, you know, I didn't have a thousand-year-old stone laying around in the back of the church. So I just grabbed the brick. That's how they used to build the altars. You could take the brick and you build up an altar, build up a set of rocks, and you would sacrifice and worship and pray and, 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 and elevate it somehow, signify it that this, was, that this was something for God. Or like Cain did, instead of taking a stone or a rock and building up an altar to God, he could take the stone and the rock and he could bash his brother's skull in and murder him in the presence of God. That is the pattern of humanity. That is the thing that is inside of you. When God came to warn Cain, he did not warn Cain of some devil or some demon. He came and warned him of sin. Sin is at the door and sin desires you. Sin is after you and sin is powerful. And it was sin, not the devil, not a demon, not hell, not your wife, not your husband, not kids, not relationships. It wasn't Adam and Eve. Definitely wasn't Abel. It was Cain. And the sin in Cain that picked up a stone and instead of building an altar to God, he murdered his brother with it. This is what we do. This is what we do. We take the things that God creates and God gives us and then we use them for wickedness and evil. We take the breath that he gives us and we use it for our own glory instead of his. We take the time that he gives us, the earth 
that he gives us? The spouses that he entrusts us with? The kids that he entrusts us with? The drive, the energy, the intelligence, the brain power? All of the things that God gives us, all of the things that we are and all of the neutral things in life, we take them and then we use them for wickedness. That is humanity. And that is you. That is what you do. That is what you have done. That's what you will always do apart from the power of the Holy Spirit. Before Christ, you could not help yourself. Every brick, every brick would not be laid for any good purpose. Every brick would be used for heinous wickedness and evil. Every breath breathed, every word spoken, every decision made, it would all be against God. There is no such thing as neutralness. Not in this life. And the reason, and this is the part where the mourning should start taking place. And some of you may have anger and rage prior to that, and I get that. But the reason why you can't take a brick or anything else and use it for anything other than heinous wickedness is because you are heinous and you are wicked. That's who you are. It's just what you do. That's what we do. And has anybody ever sat through, awake, a ninth grade history class? From the moment Eve disobeyed, to the moment Cain killed Abel, to the moment Cain's five sons raised up cities and towns of raging war, there has been nothing but destruction, murder, rape, racism, pillaging, nothingness just wicked so wicked that God took Noah the remnant saved him wiped everything out and started over has anything changed since the days of Cain and Abel has anything changed where's technology we can land on the moon but has anything changed the stones became swords, the swords became bullets, and the bullets became bombs. We are still just as evil and wicked as we always have been. There is none that is righteous apart from Christ. Period. You don't have it in you to do good. Do you know how I know? Because there is only one who is good, and it is God, and you are not good. Do you know how I know you don't have the goodness in you and the kindness in you? And the faithfulness in you and the peace and the love in you and the joy in you and the self-discipline and the self-mastery in you and the patience in you to do anything good. Because all of those things, the Bible says, is the fruit of the Spirit. And you don't have those apart from the Spirit. This is the part where you get mad because you're a good, solid, red-blooded American. And you have been told you are so special and so good. And you, like in Timothy, you will probably leave here and go somewhere else so you can hear something that make your ears tingle instead of your lives change. You don't have any goodness in you. You don't have any kindness in you, not apart from the Holy Spirit. 
You don't have any faithfulness in you, not apart from the Holy Spirit. I don't care how disciplined you think you are. You do not have the godly discipline that it takes to be righteous in this life before Christ or after, apart from the Holy Spirit. Salvation gives you eternal life, raises up your dead spirits in Christ. But your body is still dead, Paul says. And the sin is still present in your flesh, Paul says. And you still don't have the goodness and the kindness and the love and the self-discipline that it takes apart from the Holy Spirit to do anything other than take neutral things and be evil with it. And this is the point that he's trying to drive across here. That you are so fixated and so in love with this world that 99.9% of the prayers you pray is about God blessing you or giving you so that you can continue to achieve and win and go in your friendship and your relationship and your adulterous, intimate friendship with the world. What I'm trying to drive at, what he's trying to drive at, and what I believe that the entire Bible is trying to drive at outside of pure salvation in Jesus Christ is that you cannot be saved in your own power and that you cannot live in this life after salvation in your own power, period. That you need God just as much today as the day that you found him through salvation. If you ever go through and you read the Old Testament, you'll see a pattern that emerges, and it's none more clear than when the people of Israel were lost out in the desert for 40 years. If you don't know this, the entire thing is a massive shadow or reality, the Bible says, that points to who we will be in Christ and our relationship with Christ. They were freed from Egypt. They were no longer slaves of Egypt. And they were now out in the world, but they were not to the promised land. Without doubt, Egypt is being lost in sin and the promised land is eternity with God. You don't reach the promised land in this life. This entire life is the desert. This entire life is the desert. This entire life is the wilderness. This entire life. Salvation is not the promised land. See, that's the problem with American Christianity is we take salvation and we make it the finish line. It is the starting line. Being saved is not the end-all, be-all. It is the beginning of a life that actually matters. It's the beginning of the eternal part of us. Crossing uh, uh, the Red Sea that God parted through a miraculous way, was the symbol that you cannot even get free from Egypt or free from sin or free from of the wickedness and the loss without a supreme, supernatural, powerful move of God ultimately seen in the cross of Jesus Christ. Then being in the wilderness, there was one massive reality about the wilderness is that they were 100% dependent on God in every way, shape, and form. They could not eat a bite of food without God. The only thing they had was manna. And God did something so unique. He made the manna come up through the ground or rest on the ground. I don't know. I wasn't there. 
And every day the manna would be present and they would go out and they would take the manna. And this was what they would live. And he had a distinct rule or a distinct concept behind it. And he said, what I provide for you today will not last for you tomorrow. What I give you today will not last tomorrow. And if you try to use what I give you today for tomorrow, it will decay and rot overnight. And it did. Like you and me, they were stupid and they had to see it for themselves. And so they would go out in the morning and they would take the manna. And that was what they lived on that day. That was what sustained them that day. And then in the night, whatever was left, it would rot and decay and it would vanish. It would be gone. It would be filled with maggots. It would be just, ugh. And then they would go out the following day and then they would get the manna and that would be the thing that sustained them. And this was, this was the wilderness for 40 years. They could not drink unless God provided it. They did not know the ways of life and how to live until God provided them what? The law and the commandments. The only thing that they knew, and this is the part I need you to listen to me. The only thing that they knew how to do was be a slave. That was it. The only thing they knew how to do was be a slave. That was it. The only thing they knew how to do was to work like a slave. That was all they knew. That was all they knew. That was all they understood. That was all they perceived. That was their entire life. That was every ounce of knowledge was sewn up in the reality of being a slave to the Pharaoh, to the culture, to the age, and us to sin. That's all you know how to do. That's all you've ever been in this life as a slave to sin. That's the only thing you know how to do is be a slave to sin. You don't know anything else except for how to be a slave to sin. That's all you know. And so when you get a brick, you're going to murder somebody with it long before you use it for the glory of God because that's who you are. And that's all you know how to do. Even as a Christian, God gives you a platform, you'll use it for your own glory. That's why God doesn't open up the door for most of us. And that's why he takes it away so quickly. He doesn't answer the prayers because he doesn't love you. He answers the prayers or doesn't answer the prayers because he does love you. And he knows that if he gives you more influence, you will use it for your own glory and you will destroy yourself. He won't give you more money. He won't give you the right path. He will not show you the right path until you're ready to walk on it because he knows you'll destroy it. He knows that anything that he gives you that you'll misuse it because that's what we do. That's why a lot of people shouldn't get married. Not until they really know. Know the thing that I'm about to say. That's why a lot of people shouldn't, shouldn't try to pick their decision and their jobs and their careers and find their purpose when they're 17. You can't drink or smoke until you're 18 and 21, but you can pick your entire course of life in ninth grade. Idiots. So I'm going to tell you something you need to hear me. You're in the desert. You're in the wilderness. You're not in the promised land. And you'll get to see bits and pieces of it and experience bits and pieces of it in this life. I believe that without doubt. But I need you to understand something about the promised land. The promised land. 
has nothing to do with the promises of God and everything to do with the presence of God. Heaven has nothing to do with the shiny streets of gold and the mansions and all the other things that we fixate on and everything to do with God himself. And see, in, in this life, you're, you're asking God to give you all these things to help you be a better slave to the world. And God's trying to teach you one fundamental truth through the course of this life. One fundamental truth through the course of this life. Before Christ, it's the majesty of Jesus Christ. After Christ, it is the reality that you can do nothing in this life apart from him. That's it. Why won't God use 99% of you and the way and the reason you were born to be used? Because you're still friends with the world. And before God can ever begin to use you in any real way, He's got to drive you to the reality and the understanding that you can do nothing apart from him. This was the genius in the most craziest, most powerful wisdom that Jesus Christ had that we should strive for almost more than anything else. Jesus said multiple times in multiple ways, but none more clearly than in John. He said, I can do nothing apart from my Father. Now, he didn't say, I can do some things I can do nothing apart from my Father. See, this right here, and, I, and this is the part where you may get mad, and I hope, I hope you're anything but neutral. I hope it destroys your whole world. I hope it destroys your whole life. Many of you have thrown your whole life away. That's the truth. That's the reality. You've thrown your life away. You've thrown time away that you'll never get back. And you can be angry about that and regret that and all that other stuff, or you can just shut your mouth and shut the inner voices inside of you and pay attention. God gave you breath and you wasted it. God gave you time and you wasted it. God gave you marriage and you wasted it. God gave you children and you wasted the years with them. God has given you much in this life and you've thrown it away and you've wasted it. You've almost destroyed it. And you've caused pain to yourself, pain to the people you love the most. You've taken that little thing called your tongue and you've destroyed people with it. You've taken time, and instead of using it for the glory and the power and the majesty of Jesus Christ, you've used it to build up your own little worthless, temporary facade. And it's only the pride in you that convinces you that it's anything to brag about. I don't care who you are. I don't care what, I, I don't care what you've done or what you think you've accomplished in life. It's all a facade. It's a house of cards. It's nothingness. Every dime you ever make, it will burn. It'll be gone. It means nothing. Everything you ever accomplish in this life, it means nothing. I don't care how high you climb on any ladder, it means nothing. Everything outside of your relationship with God and some severance of the people in your life, everything else is worthless. Nothing else will make its way through the doors of death with you. Nothing. And this is the thing I'm trying to get you to understand. You've wasted your life and you continue to waste your life. And the majority of your prayer life, if you have one, is built on you asking God for things to continue to waste your life with. 
That's the reality of you. That you found Jesus Christ because of the grace of God. And he saved you. And now, you see God as an avenue to continue to throw your life away because the only thing you know in this life is how to be a slave to this world and to sin. And the reason why most of you will continue to act like slaves even though you're free is because of the pride that is in your life. And I don't mean just the arrogance of, of, of some of the arrogant people that we can easily find. I'm talking about the true pride of life. That's why John says there's the desires, there's the lust or the desires of, of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. The devil is the devil because of pride. Eve bit the apple because of pride. Cain killed Abel because of pride. Pride fuels almost every ounce of who we are. That's why the Catholic Church deemed it the greatest of all sins. It's the foundation of Satan and hell. Pride is deep and it's wicked, and I believe it's almost synonymous with sin because pride is the thing keeping you from believing what I'm telling you right now. Pride is the thing, the reason why sin will dominate so, many, so much in so many areas of your life from now until the day you die is because pride will keep you from truly confessing it and exposing it. Pride will stop you from believing this one fundamental truth about your life, that you need God every step of the way. This is the reality, and this is why most of you will mourn at some point, not today, but I pray, I pray to God daily for my life, and I've started to pray it for you guys, that you will face this morning at some time when you come to the reality that you are evil and that you are wicked and that you are a slave to sin, and the only thing you know how to do is be a slave to sin. That's the only thing you know how to do. This life is about teaching us how to find and depend on God. I need you to hear me. I know that you think it's about the thing that you think it's about, but it's not. I don't understand how we can continue to be so foolish in this reality. It's not about the thing that you think life is about. It's just not. If the thing that you're investing the majority of your life in won't pass through eternity with you, it is worthless. Quit throwing your life away for it. But if you can understand the reality of what God tried to teach them in the desert and the reality of what God is trying to teach you this morning is that you cannot make it a single day apart from Him. You cannot have a single conversation apart from Him. Make a single decision apart from Him. You, like Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, the Messiah, the Anointed One, who confessed the reality humbly. I can do nothing apart from my Father. You can do nothing apart from your Father, period. Until you truly believe that, you will always live like a slave to sin, despite the reality that you are free. And I know that there's a thing that's rising up in you and let that be evidence itself that you are being fueled and consumed by pride because there's something in you right now that is wanting to fight against the words that I'm saying. There's something in you right now that wants to struggle and wants to fight and wants to fight. And, and, it, and I'm telling you, let that be evidence itself that pride is fueling you. You are not good. 
goodness is God and God is goodness and you are not God therefore you are not good any good thing in this world comes from God you are not kind you have no kindness in you because it says that kindness is the fruit of the spirit you are not the Holy Spirit and apart from the spirit you have no kindness in you you have no love you have no joy you have no peace goodness kindness patience faithfulness meekness or gentleness or self-discipline or self-mastery you have none of the above apart from the Spirit of God you will take marriage after marriage after marriage and waste it and destroy it. You will take children and you will destroy them for your own vantage. You will take every ounce, every breath, every second, every opportunity, every brick that God puts before you. You will take it, you will use it for your own glory and your own wickedness and you will build up your own kingdom just like Satan did. You will take every ounce of what God gives you until you remember the reality that you were a slave to sin and that's the only thing you know how to do and until you can come to yourself come to the end of yourself come to the end of the reality that you believe you have an ounce of goodness in you see the reality of who you are and see the majesty of Jesus Christ and humble yourself before God you will never do anything except waste and destroy your life period I don't care I don't care oh I know it's hard to clap there's a couple of people want to clap but nobody else I'm telling you you can't clap to that reality what I'm trying to destroy just just in case you're not clear what I'm trying to do is destroy your life is what I'm trying to do I'm trying to get you to see the wicked thing that you really are I'm trying to get you to see the foolish thing that you really are. I'm trying to get you to see that you still, despite the arrogance and the deception that pride has absolutely tricked you into believing, I'm trying to kill you. I'm trying to kill you. I'm trying to kill that slave mentality in you. I'm trying to kill that thing in you that thinks that it doesn't need God in your life. Because you need God every day. And it's not just a prayer life. And I don't, don't, don't mistake this. It's not, I'm not saying go home and pray. Because he's addressing not the reality of prayer. He's addressing the reality of what they're praying for. And using that to expose the slave mentality that exists inside of him. It doesn't matter what you pray for. If he gives it to you, you'll destroy something with it. This is why he says, but, but he gives more grace. Just like the manna, I need you to hear me, just like the manna in the desert. Every day, you go out and you gather the manna, and that will sustain you through the course of this day. But at the end of the day, it's gone. And the following day, you need to go out and you need to get it, and that will be the thing that sustains you that day. But at the end of the day, it's gone. And the next day, I need you to go out and I need you to get it. And that'll be the thing that sustains you. And this is what I'm trying to tell you. Because you're a good, solid, American, denominational Christian, they've convinced you that salvation is the end. And it's just the beginning. And you need grace every day for the rest of your life in the same way that you needed it the day that you found Jesus. And he says the way that you do that and you can't just say some kind of humble prayer because you're an arrogant, prideful, foolish person. 
but you have to come to the end of yourself and truly believe in your heart and get the reality of who you are and who God is and then truly humble yourself in the presence of God and beg for the Spirit of God to give life to your mortal bodies, as Paul says, to fuel you with the grace of God, as Paul says in Romans, with the acknowledgement that he is the God who created the world and that you can't take a single step apart from him. I'm fully convinced that this is the only thing that we would ever need to really truly pray. Because if we truly believe this and we came before God every single day of our lives with that mentality, God, I know that I can't take one step without you. I know I can't say one word without you. I know that I can't raise my children or have a marriage. I know that I can't find my purpose. I know that there is nothing from A to Z that I can do apart from you, Father. I humble myself. You are the strength. You are the conqueror. You are the knowledgeable one. You are the one that is limitless. You are the all-powerful, the all-knowing. You are the God who created the heavens and the earth, Father. And I know now that I have been nothing but a slave to sin, and I still have this slave mentality, and that if you give me something good apart from you, your spirit, your grace, and your power, I will inevitably use that good thing for my own glory, my own kingdom, my own thing, and I will destroy the good things in this life with what you give me. So, Father, I don't even gonna pray for anything else because I don't know what to pray for. All I know is I cannot take a single step in this life without you. God, please give me your grace today that I can serve you and honor you and walk. Not even what if you prayed that? What if you just believed that? And how much more evidence do you need? I can't end this sermon. I can't end this message. There is no way to end it. In the same way that the dependency on the manna doesn't quit until you get to the promised land, the dependency on the presence of God does not quit until you die to this earth and cross into eternity with Him. You need God. You need God every second, every day of your life. And every day spent outside of that true, humble reality is a day you will waste and destroy the things that he has given you. The reason why he turns and he says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. You're double-minded because you are trying to take the things of God and use them in the friendship of the world. He goes, be miserable and mourn and weep and let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord and he will exalt you. In order for you to humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord like that, you have to come to the reality of who you are and kill it. And that is something that causes deep mourning when you truly realize how deceived you really are, how much we've really wasted, how desperate we are for God. It's called godly sorrow. When you are aware, when it hits you, when the light bulb comes on and you are aware that your life is being fueled by the pride inside of you and not by the grace of God. That is a deeply disturbing reality. So my prayer is even this moment, tonight, tomorrow, a year from now, but that at some point, at some point, you will have a revelation of the majesty and the greatness of Jesus Christ and you will understand and you will see that every second of every day, you're in desperate need of His grace, His power, just to make it a sin. 
quit praying for bricks because if you get them, you'll kill people with you. And start humbling yourself before God and praying that God will give you grace and grace and grace and grace. That you will go wherever it is that He wants you to go. That you'll stand on whatever platform He wants to build for you. That you'll do whatever He calls you to. And that you will quit wasting your life trying to succeed in a world that will vanish in a moment. But I'm telling you this morning is that you need God. And that you are free. Act like you are free. Move forward in the grace and the power and the presence of God. And quit trying to live this life apart from His power because you can't. You guys will stand with me.